Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. So, Brontes Purnell is a zine maker, punk drummer, choreographer, and author of the 2017 novella Since I Laid My Burden Down. Uh, originally from Alabama, he lives in Oakland, California. Beth Pickens is an L.A.-based consultant for artists and arts organizations. Her book, which I really recommend, Your Art Will Save Your Life, has been a Skylight bestseller for almost a full year now. So, without further ado, welcome Brontes and Beth. Thank you. Thank you. Brentes, I'm so excited to be here with you. Do you want to do the reading first? I'll, t- I'll totally do the reading first. I've never seen it rain in L.A. Like, I've, like um, I've lived in California 16 years now from Alabama. I come to L.A. often, and I'm just like, it's raining in L.A., and I've never seen that. Yeah. This city is really special when the weather gets moody. It's a whole different feeling here. Mm. I love that. So, um, this is The Nightlife of Jacuzzi Gasket. Um, this is a children's book, but I think it was also more so written for people of my age group. I wrote it because um, I noticed that my nephews had never been more than 20 minutes outside of adult supervision. And so I wrote it for people of my generation who were latchkey kids. Um, I thought... Yeah, this book is as much for us as all the kids here. Um, He's an angry (laughs) (laughs) pre-punk. So here we go. Let's do it. The Nightlife of Jacuzzi Gasket. His name was John Gasket Clements. He went by Gasket at school, though. There were 13 other Johns in his class. He went by his middle name so people would be sure to remember him. His nickname was Jacuzzi because that was where he was conceived. (laughs) Jacuzzi had just turned 11. His house was a good five-minute walk from the spot where the school bus dropped him off every day. In another 30 minutes, his mother would be home to drop off his baby brother, Jamal, from the babysitters. His brother was 11 months old. His brother was his new favorite person. Jacuzzi always took this alone time to collect himself. He'd look at the little fish that sat in a water-filled bowl on the desk by his bed, and often he'd say, a fine kettle of fish. He didn't know why he said a fine kettle of fish, other than the fact that his grandfather had come in his room once a long time ago, peered into his fish bowl and said, ah, a fine kettle of fish. The fish from this memory were already dead. Does anyone know what that saying means? I learned it a long time ago. It means like when something's messed up. Like it's from an old English poem. You're just like, oh, isn't this a fine kettle of fish? (laughs) (laughs) Jacuzzi went into the kitchen and stared at the stove. Better not play with fire again, he reminded himself. 
He went into his room and looked at the cardboard box filled with multicolored Legos. He was tired of building the same things, trains, airplanes, and spaceships. Instead, he took the box and heaved the entire continents or the entire contents in the air. The Legos hit the ceiling and hurtled back to Earth. Jacuzzi considered the dense collection of multicolored plastic at his feet and decided it was a strange art installation meant to be displayed on the floor. Then he heard brisk footsteps on the cement stairs attached to his second-story apartment. Mama and Jamal are home, he said, but just in his head. Mama worked with soldiers at the army base, and she carried the same percussion in her step, her knock, and her general way. Hey, baby, Mama said, smiling. She walked straight to the bedroom where both Jacuzzi and Jamal slept. He had a bunk bed he'd had for years, despite the fact that until recently, he had been an only child. Next to the bunk bed was a crib for Jamal. Mama has to hurry, baby, she said, zipping by and put Jamal down in his crib to change out of her work clothes. She always had the same routine. She tidied up the apartment here and there, gave Jamal a bath, and prepared bottles for him. Then she heated up food for Jacuzzi, kissed him on the forehead, and asked him about his day. Mama's leaving in a bit. I'm going to feed Jamal. Then you have to look after him, she said. You are Mama's big boy. Mama was going to her boyfriend's house. Jacuzzi hated his mother's boyfriend. That summer, the boyfriend had insisted that Mama sign him up for basketball, but Jacuzzi hated basketball and football and baseball and maybe most of all, soccer. It's just a bunch of people running and yelling, he explained one time to the boyfriend who gave Jacuzzi a very disappointed look. Jacuzzi watched his mom move through her pre-going-out ritual. She, for a good two months now, would shower or just spray on deodorant, put on makeup, do her hair, and kiss Jacuzzi goodbye. She was always home at 2 a.m. At night, Jacuzzi sometimes missed his dad. In the few memories he had of him, he could picture a man with faraway eyes always sitting on the couch. Once when Jacuzzi was about five, his mother came home early to find him all alone in the house. His father was supposed to be watching him. After that, his dad had to leave. Three days, these days, the man existed in a series of collect calls made from jail. I did bad things, son. You go to school and don't be like your daddy, he would say. Okay, I love you, daddy, said Jacuzzi at the end of their heart-to-hearts. Oh, now he heard his baby brother crying. He retrieved wailing Jamal from his crib and sat on the couch to rock him in his arms back and forth like his mom had taught him. Like magic, the infant was quiet the instant he started rocking. Jacuzzi liked little Jamal. He smelled him. He liked the way baby smelled. You're my only friend, he whispered to the baby's little head. Jacuzzi let his mind wander to the rest of his life. The truth was he hated school and all the people in it. They all made fun of him, and no one seemed to see how smart or special he was. Earlier that day, the students in his class had to present a paper on what their future career would be. 
Emily Dugan-Smith wrote a paper about how she wanted to be a doctor and got an A+. Mike Tollins presented a paper about how he wanted to be a garbage man like his dad and got a C. Jacuzzi explained to the teacher that he didn't want to do work when he grew up, and you can't write a paper about choosing no job, so he believed that he should be excused from the project. (laughs) She gave him an F. I hate that place, he thought, as he walked so carefully and so slowly, carrying his sleeping brother back to the crib. The month before, Jacuzzi didn't get to go on the school field trip to the jelly bean factory because his mom couldn't afford it, so he stayed in the library all day. He tended to stay in the library anyway, whenever he could. He liked books. In one book, he read about how there were crystal skulls in Mexico, and in another, he read about how the ghost of some woman haunted a beach in Hawaii. He wanted to get to those places. In another book, he learned that the next neighboring galaxy was called Andromeda. He really wanted to go there. Skulls, ghosts, and stars were interesting, but mythology was the most interesting. Jacuzzi had taken out a library book about a god in Africa that controlled the wind and rain, and this sparked an idea in his head. He filled the blender with water and carried it into the living room as carefully as he carried Jamal. He placed the lid on top and pressed the puree button. A contained little cyclone world go, go, go inside the glass. He added green food coloring to the water for effect. I can make tornadoes, he said. I'm a god, Jacuzzi said, to no one in particular as he put away the blender, which was heavy. The next order of business was that there was no next order of business, so Jacuzzi decided to go to bed. The boy washed his face, brushed his teeth, put on pajamas, and laid on his bed in near-total darkness, his brother breathing sweetly in the crib some feet away. Above him, a galaxy of many stars glowed when you turned off the light. On nights like tonight, Jacuzzi would count the stars until he dozed off. Then he'd wake up and do it again. He would continue this pattern until his mom came home. Sometimes he would get to six full countings, other times seven. This particular night, he couldn't stop thinking about the Andromeda galaxy. He wondered about all the people there and what they were doing. He wondered if the boys in the Andromeda Galaxy had dads or teachers that didn't pick on them or baby brothers they had to take care of. He felt a little sad at the idea of all those people so far away having fun without him. I really, truly have to get there, Jacuzzi vowed as he began his seventh round of counting. Just then, he heard keys opening the front door. Mama was home. The end. Brontez, I love this book so much. I love Jacuzzi. I know exactly the kind of punk artist he's going to grow up to be. (laughs) And, you know, we were talking beforehand about two things. One, that you really wrote this for adults of a specific generation. And we both shared, we're kind of close in age. We both grew up in the 80s and 90s. And the kinds of alone time we spent unsupervised now seem maybe illegal. (laughs) And we were wondering how much of that is just a cultural shift in in U.S. culture or how much of it is pre-internet, post-internet. I don't know. But can you talk a little bit about 
of all the work that you have going, and you always have many projects and many disciplines happening at the same time, what was the impetus that made you write a children's book? I was literally sitting in bed one day, and I was like, I want to write this story. And like Jennifer from Feminist Press, I had flown to Minneapolis for a book fair, and she was driving me to the airport, and she's like, what are you doing next? And I was like, oh, I wrote a children's story, children's story. Um, and she was just like, wait, what? And I was like, no, I did. I can let you see it. And then she started her own press, and she was like, yeah, let's do that. And I was like, Yeah, when we were growing up, I mean, I definitely didn't see reflections of that experience in children's literature. I think the different kinds of experiences has really proliferated in children's literature over the past probably 20 years. But when I was a kid, I definitely didn't see, you know, maybe troubling experiences or kids who were alone, not in a fantasy environment, but actually in the real world who maybe had to care for siblings. And so I really love that about this book. This is a real kid who has real responsibilities and his own internal landscape that he's created no yeah um so growing up in eighth grade i had this um i had this teacher in alabama she was like this jewish woman who like would give me literature like um back at the time in alabama there was a whole section where you had to teach about civil rights and the holocaust in like one section and there was like this reader that they gave us that she only read one story out, but then she handed it to me, and she was just like, "I can't give you, I can't give this to you legally because of the last story," and it was about a gay man who had to jump off of a bridge to escape his attackers, who died. Um, but she knew, she knew what I was, you know. But she always gave me, um... no, go for it. No, wait. <laughs> No, wait, babe, wait. Here. Play your drums. <laughs> um, she, yeah, she handed me that, and she. there was another story about, I told her stories about my life, and there was another children's story about a kid who had an alcoholic dad that he had to fight, and she would give me stuff like that. Um, I had so much, like, preteen, like, radical literature handed to me, <laughs> like, Luckily, by this woman, Luann Jacobs, I don't know what happened to her, but she taught me that um, literature for all of us has to be provocative or it has to like mirror our experience. And maybe just because we're not adults, like um, adult things happen to children mm-hmm. all the time. And like we don't always have the language to face it, but that woman gave me literature that kind of made me feel like I wasn't floating in space in my experience. You know what I mean? And so I think it's important for, you know, I don't, I would, I don't believe in like graphic details and crazy stuff, but like, um, I believe that it's important to put into the ether. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then the story, nothing bad happens. This is just like the mundane experience of his life. This is just his kind of external and internal landscape. Totally. Yeah. I wanted. I wanted to make a story about a boy who doesn't maybe have, like, the best, like, circumstances or the most ideal circumstances, but you can tell that, like, he's going to be okay. Like, he has, there's love in his life, like, but also the fact that, like, um, no, you can tap. I I tap all the time. I do that. That's, like, my, (laughs) 
No, that was me. Like that was totally. There might be me. a partridge family situation here yeah. under your nose. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but it's um, he's gonna be he's gonna be okay. Yeah, you know his his mother, but also the fact that like his mother goes out at night, and I kind of really loved my mother because my mother was really attentive, but also my mother let me know that like before. She was my mom. She had another identity. And that I was not necessarily the center of the universe all the time. And I really appreciate my mom for that. Like, I think it was really character building to have a mom that was like, no, you're going to sit over there and do that. Like, mom has to do this now. Mm -hmm. So I think that's important. Yeah. 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 How about your relationship to the artist who created the imagery? You said you just recently met the artist. No, like, yeah, like, Jennifer is so awesome because it's like, um, I never, like, originally, like, it was drawn by, like, this white gay dude in San Francisco. That's who I was doing it with. But, you know, like, he, you know, has um, issues. And so do I. (laughs) But Jennifer was like, um, wait, there's this artist I want to pair you with named Elise. And Elise um, did How Mamas Love Their Babies. And also Jennifer knew that I was a zine writer and a zine kid. And so she paired me with this artist that um, does like collage work. But I didn't know until New York that like Elise Peterson like put pictures of her actual dad in this. Oh, really? And she also grew up in a military town, and she also was like an older, the oldest of all of her siblings that had to, like, she was like 14 or 15 when her like younger siblings was born, and she was like, I remember driving to high school with like baby seats in the back, having to like take them to like, you know, daycare, whatever. Like I was literally like a mom for my siblings. And she was like, that's why I wanted to like illustrate this story. And I was just like, wow, uh, this is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So adult things happen to kids all the time. That's so true. I I never, something that's very profound. It's really kind of sinking into me. And so there has to be stories about that, right? No, for sure. Like, but it's like it's it's a total balance too, like where it's like these stories are written for all of us, mm-hmm. like so we have to like um, there's a negotiation because you don't I don't know you don't want to write a Dennis Cooper <laughs> children's <laughs> book, but also like you want I don't know I I feel when I was really young like there was like so much happening that I didn't necessarily have the language for and so I wanted to be able to kind of relate those things or be able to people or both adults and children to get into the metaphysical space of what this means you know and also like the the plot points that we have to fill in too like oh his dad's in jail Oh, his mom stays out till 2 a.m. Oh, he has to keep his brother. Oh, like, um, people at school pick on him. Like, what's going on with this kid, you know? But even in his banter in his head, like, there's still this search for forward motion. Mm -hmm. You can tell that he is forward moving and just like, okay, this is happening. What happens next? The methodical of okay, as long as I get to 2 a.m., mom's going to come home, I go to sleep, we wake up and do it again, you know? Yeah. 
If there's anything I've observed in watching friends have kids, it's that the books have to appeal to parents or to whatever adult's going to be reading them to a little one because you're going to be reading and looking at that book maybe hundreds of times and watching the same films over baby and over shark and over again. Do, 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 do. Baby shark to do to do to do Mama shark to do to do to do Mama shark. I love that song. I'm sorry. I listened to it by myself. You like. triggered all the parents. <laughs> Such a good song. And that, you know, that hadn't occurred to me until I started seeing my friends have kids and that the, you, you do these same things over and over and over again. I like really want to have kids, but sometimes I feel like I'm too busy raising my friends. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just like, ah. That's how I feel about my dogs. <laughs> For yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, Brontes, a thing that I really love about you that I just want to make sure all the audience knows because they, they may be meeting you through your children's book, your first children's book, but you are truly a polymath when it comes to being an artist. You have so much success and makes you have such a high quality output in music your zine and music writing history your choreography and performance and making a film about choreography and now writing you have this big writing career and you're in grad school at the same time I just want to point that out too how does that happen <laughs> that you can have all of the because sometimes you know I work with artists and sometimes when I have clients who have a lot of different disciplines I'll sort of nudge them to sort of you know, make some choices to, to, to dedicate some time into some, a few specific projects so that it's not so scattered. But you have this ability to get a wide range of projects all moving at the same time. How do you do it? <laughs> I relate it to, like, being a parent. And, like, it's literally, like, growing up in Alabama and watching, like, my cousins and a lot of other people be, like, single moms and, like, have, like, two and three kids by themselves with, like, no money and no support and still raising, like, the best children ever. And I'm like, if this girl can raise two and three kids, like, I can raise two and three projects. Like, there, it's a different set of consequences, too. And I just sometimes, I like, I'll be in the Bay Area and I'll just be hanging out with these kids just like, <laughs> I wrote a poem a month ago, and it's, like, going nowhere. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm just, like, so over art. And I'm just like, oh, no, 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 not the look. Like, also, you know what I'm saying? Like, and also, like, we need to, like, step it up. And, like, sometimes, and I'll say it, like, sometimes, like, even in the Bay, why I think we lost a lot of our footing is because so many people, like, are, like, oh, this isn't a place for artists. Like, oh, the artists are, like, leaving. And I was just like, you had a band in 2002, and then, yeah, that was what you did for that year. Like, no, like, everyone claiming to be an artist. <laughs> like, no, actually. And, like, if we had, like, if we had defended our space, if we had really fought for it, we probably could have had more of a shield, but everyone feigning arthood, like, that's not really what happened. I saw, I saw it. And so now people can be like, oh, I'm a graphic designer. I'm a creative. I'm an artist. And I have money backing me. So they get to come and, like, scoop the whole thing. You know what I'm saying? But, like, some of us who were zine makers, who did all this stuff, like, it's like, you have to keep doing it. Like, it's, it's a... It's a life. It's a practice. It's a lifestyle. You have to like defend that space. I do so much because I feel like we have to defend that space. Like we have to. 
I want, uh, you know, when a, a star becomes a black hole, that's what I'm trying to do. Like, I want that weight. I want the crushing in. I want the light to just, like, yeah, I don't I don't feel like a lot of people defended that space the way they should have and that's why we're looking at the times we are right now. Mm. Okay. I want to open it up for any audience questions. I'm sure some people here want to say hello and maybe Can I ask, ask a, question. a question. You ask a question of the audience? Odin? That is so much name. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> like, Odin Wolf. That's amazing. That is so cool. That's cool. Oh, you even covered the eye like Odin. Yeah, that's cool. I, um, questions, friends. Uh, if there's any questions. You can ask about any of his work. It doesn't even just only have to be about this book. <laughs> What's up? Can someone think of something to ask? <laughs> That's my favorite type of Christian. Oh, I did a piece called 100 Boyfriends Mixtape. It was um, black and white, 8mm films. Um... Um, I don't like to tell people if things are improv or written because <laughs> they're a good mix of both. So, um, it, yeah, it was just, I like to talk to the voices in my head and I'll leave it at that. Sup. <laughs> Brian says, are you going to write more children's books or have you already? Um, yeah, I have one other story written and I have a young, a a young adult novel that I'm doing. Um, but then also like a couple of adult novels. I don't know what's classified as an adult novel because I I read very, my mother, I, I read very adult things and saw very adult movies growing up. My parents were not very restrictive of that. Um, so, I don't know. I, um, yeah, I have I have more of those plans. More sure. children's books with, with this press, with oh, Jennifer Baumgartner. I would love to do it with Jennifer. Okay, can we talk about how cool Jennifer is? Like, <laughs> literally, like, uh, I had to like. Jennifer was just like, oh, you're doing this? Okay, we're going to do this together. Yeah. Oh, this is what's going to happen. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just wish that, 
I wish someone would give Jennifer like ninety million dollars, right, and we yeah. could just like ride off into the sunset with it. Like, yeah, Jennifer she, Bob Gartner is kind of extraordinary in publishing because so much of the energy is no energy, like no, not like this, or you did that before and it worked well. Why don't we keep doing this thing? And there's not always a positive response to trying something different. No, yeah, like I after the Whiting Award, I'm like working with different people, and I'm now seeing why. I worked with Jennifer so long because it's just like, Jennifer's like, oh, this is what's happening. Okay, we're going to like move this along. Whereas people are like, well, why isn't this funny? Or why, why, didn't you, why didn't you do this with this? Or like like trying to literally change the work. Like, are you going to go up to a Van Gogh painting and put white marks on it because you don't like it? Like, no. And I always ask the question, like, who informs media does... Does the audience inform media? Does media inform the audience? Or, I don't know. We're going to see what happens. Y'all, what's up? What's good? (laughs) Wait, what's a 2DS? I'm old. They're still Nintendo. I didn't know that. They still, that's a thing. Oh, do you, wait, do you have an 8-bit Nintendo? <laughs> Poser. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> Mario and blah, blah. Any other Any other questions out there? Yes. I am not a full-time writer. Like... Um, to be quite honest, um, before the Whiting Award, which ends this year, I was, um, I clipped weed for five years. I, like, literally was stuck in Ukiah with this, like, this dyke weed trimmer boss who had voted for Trump. I was there the night Trump got elected into audience, to office, and she was kind of like, she was like, yeah, well, he's not that different from Hillary. And then, like, tried to convert us to libertarianism. Like, literally, her quote was like, you know, what us libertarians believe is, don't steal my water, don't steal my air, don't steal my freedom. You can vibe with that, right? And I'm, like, literally trapped three hours north in Ukiah being like, yeah, totally, water, air, freedom. Those were concepts. Um... And then, like, then I had to go back to San Francisco and was, like, literally from West Oakland all the way to Hunter's Point, like, taking this, like, three-hour commute just to, like, clip weed. I was hanging out with not the coolest people. Like, um, yeah, it was really hard. But I saw writing as a place to heal and I did it when I could and also I still do writing when I can um I write music when I can like I most of my focus is still even with the grant I got like it would take a lot more than fifty thousand dollars to pull me out of systemic poverty so it's like I I do what I can when I can and hope that it makes an impact right and now you're a full-time student yeah I'm a student now I went back to school because I was just like, I'm sick of clipping weed. My brain is atrophying. (laughs) Like, let me just go and read some academic papers I don't understand and hope that it gets to another level. 
I grew up with Greek myths. Like, of course, like all the Greek myths. Um, hand me that wine. I grew up with all the Greek myths, and it was like really cool. I'm invested in the Greek gods because, um, as a friend explained to me, they were they were invested in humans because humans had the power of choice. Like, if when you're Zeus, you had to be Zeus all the time. When you're Poseidon, you have to be Poseidon all the time. The reason they supposedly meddled in human affairs all the time is because they liked the choice that humans had. Humans could do whatever. Um, As I came into Oakland, I started dancing like Haitian and Orisha dance. And so I got into like the Orishas and all of that stuff, and it was interesting learning about a pantheon that reflected human emotion, like learning about Shango, Oya, Yemaya, and all that stuff. Like, um, yeah, I have a very intense investment in... I grew up Southern Baptist, you know, and so um, I have an investment in things outside of Christianity that might explain things about the universe to me. So yes, I have a deep investment in those things we call mythology. <laughs> Guess who got kind of drunk? <laughs> was there another hand in the back? Yeah, I was just going to ask what you're studying right now and how it connects to all the different things. Right now, um, oh, let me complain about my university. Um, right now, I'm in uh, UC Berkeley and I'm studying art practice. Um, and so what they're doing at UC Berkeley right now is they're letting more artists and performers in, but what I think is happening is they're, they try to switch us over to a more monetized practice because you can't really own a performance, right? So, like, I feel like all the suggestions I get from the professors are like, oh, why don't you try photography or painting or, you know, which I'm glad they're pushing us into that, but it's like, whatever. That's exactly how I feel every day. (laughs) Yes. I am so happy to see children. Like, seriously, (laughs) like, no, like, because I, like, I'm from Alabama. Every time I go home, there's, like, 90, and every time I go to, like, um, dance class in Oakland, there's just, like, children around. And also, we need children, too, because we are not the center of the universe as adults. F adult supremacy. (laughs) (laughs) Any other questions? My mother gave me um my mother gave me Langston Hughes a lot growing up. So like even from the I think about from the age of 7 I was always reading that. And then my in an interview someone asked me like, "Oh, like do do you think that children's books should be queer?" And I cuz like I was in LA last time for this panel that was unfortunately called Queering Children's Literature. Which I was just like, ew. Like, I just, um, and they were just like, oh, is there anything that you read growing up? And I was like, it was all through the 70s. I think Toad and Frog is like one of the queerest things I've ever read. Because they are like two asexual men who have decided to be life partners, you know? And they also like 
like that was a choice. Like we are obviously bonded together. We're best friends. We are never gonna get into all that, but we're together forever. And so I think yeah, it taught me growing up reading that. And also like I was born in nineteen eighty two. Talk um Toad and Frog or Frog and Toad was like way before me, but I read it and um it was a beautiful thing. Winnie the Pooh, like um so <laughs> we me and Marlo share a birthday, so we're like we're like we're we're like in it. Yeah, um yeah, there was lots of there was lots of really the mother goose rhymes, like lots of cool things that yeah. Led me to that. So I loved your band growing up. <laughs> <laughs> yes, my dear. Wait, here we go. Hold on, Queen. Hold on, Queen. <laughs> Honey, don't do it. Yeah, you got you got So at my school we um we have two classes. Um so one class um, did Winnie the Pooh. It was so good. And then my class um, did Magic School Bus. And I have a question. How many books have you made? <laughs> um, the Nightlife of Jacuzzi Gasket is my fifth book. And first book for kids. And first book for kids. What's up? How am I an author if I only wrote five books? <laughs> how how many does he need to write before you'll consider him an author? Just so What's up, future disaffected teen? Um I don't think anyone thinks I'm a good author. Um, I'm just an author, author. And also, let's quantify good. What is good? What is good? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you a question. What is good? Oh. I mean, thousands of people eat at McDonald's. It's not good. This is very true. Exactly, but billions and billions of burgers sold. Billions. Like, yeah. like you know, good is a good is a very subjective word. You know, Brontes, this brings up a really interesting question. When did you sort of identify, self-identify as a writer? When did that happen for you? <laughs> no, but that's what I'm asking, and I have the microphone. <laughs> Adult supremacy. <laughs> um, Was it back in the zine-making days? Did you identify as I'm a writer? I don't think I did it until the tour, the Sister Spit tour, Sister Spit? where I met where I met you. Yeah. Like that's when I was like 2012. Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm a writer. It had never occurred to me. Hmm. So we are in a bookstore. I encourage you all to support this independent bookstore by buying Brontes' books. His, he has books for adults, his first children's books. 
his first children's book, and all the books around you. Support your local independent bookstore. Also, please buy books. Beth just wrote a book called Your Art Will Save Your Life. Um, it's a really amazing self-help book for artists. It's also on Feminist Press. I read it. My teachers at Berkeley, my teachers at Berkeley are like, oh, do you know Beth Pickens? And I'm like, how dare you? <laughs> like, it's, 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 it's an amazing read. Um, I encourage you to buy it also. Like, so make uh, your purchases. We'll be here talking. If you want to come up and chat, maybe get a book signed. We're available for that. And thank you all so much for thank showing you for up being on here. a rainy day. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.